to be a podcast from the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast crew. I am gutted this morning to wake up and discover that I have not been cast as Super Mario in the Super Mario films, uh, despite all of the letters and emails I have sent to Nintendo over the past 10 to 15 years. So instead, today we are going to record a podcast about board games. My name is Matt Lees and I'm joined by Thomas Brewster. Hello, I'm Tom Brewster and I'm not Super Mario either but I wish no. I was. Yeah, I mean, you're less disappointed by it because you didn't apply, but it's still no. a disappointment. I applied to be Yoshi. Yes, you got them eggs. And I got it. What? Yeah. You got it? <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> but then you got cut from the film? Yeah, they they, they, they scrubbed me in the edit. They replaced me with them. That's, um... that's hard. That's tough. They dropped me but into I mean... a lava pit to get over a gap. Oh, that's, that's me doing an impression. Good. Thank you very much. I should do Toad, uh, maybe, where I go, Go and do toad. That's the noise the toad makes. <laughs> I quite frequently uh, will combine both Wario and Toad from the popular video game Mario Kart 64 <laughs> and say, I'm going to win and I'm the best um, whilst doing things with my wife, uh, like going to the shops, etc. <laughs> she has no idea what I'm referencing. I'm just being obnoxious and I love it. So today on the podcast, we're going to talk about some board games. And we're going to talk about Imperial of Spells and Steam, a very large box that contains magical trains. And also we're going to be talking about Spirit Island, a game which we haven't really looked at closely enough over the years. I think we did look at it a long time ago and not for long enough. And anyway, we've finally gone back to have a look at it. And it turns out it's, it's pretty great. It's pretty good. We cracked out our magnifying glass and we zoomed in and took a good hot look at those spirits on that island. And let me tell you, they're pretty fun. But we'll talk about that in a bit. Let's talk about Imperial Spells and Steam first. So Imperial is not spelt like you'd imagine Imperial. It is spelt with loads of letters that arguably shouldn't be there, like E's and Y's. And it is a game of having a train company, collecting resources, selling those resources by shipping them to cities, but also... You are magical anime characters in a big old wonderful weeby land. Yes. So this is a game from level 99 and it's something which lots of people have said it's pretty decent. And you know what? I would go as far, not going to bury the lead here, I would go as far as to say it's okay. <laughs> I didn't have a bad time with it. It's quite nice. I've played it a few times and it's it's fine. It's not especially exciting. It's not especially interesting. And the box is tremendously big, which is not something I'm terribly fond of. So the game works in the manner of you having this hex-based grid of different types of uh, terrain, each of which at the start of the game is going to have a different resource, uh, the resource that matches it on it. So you have this in, this big spread of areas and everything has one resource on it, whether it is the hot fiery lands that have the hot fiery resource, cold chili lands that have the cold chili stuff. And then you're going to be placing trains, which of course in the abstract way that these games often work, um, represent tracks. So you're going to be placing tracks to create a network across the board, uh, often contiguously being like, okay, I'm building up my network here. And then you build that network to connect to cities. And then when you connect it to cities, you can then deliver goods, getting you points. Now, already this sounds a bit like some of the games that Tom particularly has been getting hot under the collar for for a little while in terms of 
your trains and delivering <laughs> and shares games in in the vein of your Irish gauge and stuff, right? There's there's no shares. There is picking up and there is delivering. I would not compare it to something like Irish gauge because it feels like those games are all about dash shares. But I would mm-hmm. think that maybe it's uh, the, my closest comparison is something like fast sloths this genre of games called just generally called pick up and deliver games where you just okay. pick up a thing and put it somewhere else that's interesting right because i think that 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 you've hit on something immediately in the fact that right off the bat this game has dna that seems to represent lots of other things it's it's got a a faintly terra mystica vibe of having energy that you spend to do more things and having a sort of area control with different types of land that sometimes can change into other types of land it's got a sort of trainee game thing of building these networks across the map and um connecting to cities so you can ship things but then there's also a mechanic in it which is kind of similar to cryo that we played recently of having this board in front of you but then you are going to be able to fill up with different actions so you can kind of customize the flow of what you're going to be able to do throughout the game and build your little engine. Now, if that sounds confusing, it's because arguably, mechanically, this game is pretty confused right off the bat because you are building a train network that connects to cities, but then when you're delivering goods, you're not delivering goods based on what is directly connected to that city. You're delivering goods from anywhere on the board that you have a train on (laughs) also people can build tracks in the same spaces so you can kind of competing to grab the same resources and when you are building a track you can kind of hop over other people's tracks to continue yours which again something that sort of has roots within that kind of genre but also you can just straight hop over things and as you might expect in a game that is apparently about spells as well as steam you can sometimes just jump and move around and do things that are a bit odd, creating this odd magical train network where you click your fingers and anything that is connected to your train network gets shipped to a city, which I kind of feel like actually that's the one mechanic in the game where it does kind of shake its hands <laughs> and go, magic, that's magic. And to me, that honestly feels like a bit of a cop-out of just being like, <laughs> doesn't like the one instance in which it's like, this is to do with magic, is just to being like, if this doesn't make sense, then remember, it's magic. You're doing this stuff, and then you're limited on your turn in terms of what types of space you can build track onto. So you might be like, I haven't got any fiery spaces near me, and the you move your little token along your player board to these five different slots that all have different selections of actions you can take on your turn and things you can do. And then you have this mana crystal thing that you can spend mana crystals that you have to unlock additional abilities. So if you have two or three abilities on those little stacks of those little spaces, because you can have up to three different abilities that slot into each of these five different ability slots, you can spend more mana to take more actions on your turn. You can also spend more mana so when you're moving along this track of options that you can take before you have to deliver at the end of the line and then reset your player board to the start again, 
you can choose to move further down this line more quickly so you're doing more deliveries there's a lot of little systems going on none of which mm. are terribly complicated i think w when you explained that that board in front of me was like a line i got quite excited i like the idea of squeezing efficiencies out of that like selection of carriages that you've got where you can socket carriages into a place and then you can sort of reconcile that with the main board because those carriages that you're putting in let you build on specific kinds of terrain so i won't be looking in front of me and going well if i go to the first carriage space i can build on a snow space then a sand space and i look at the main board and go there's snow and there's sand and i go oh what can i sock it in here and you can plan out ahead like what sort of way you're going to carve through the main board by looking at the board in front of you and you sort of have to play with your own internal tempo like that conductor is going to get really expensive to drag really really far across that line you have to spend loads of mana to do it um, so you kind of want like stops, which is something that I was woefully bad at doing is having little pit stops along there where I can take big chunks of actions rather than dragging them from one end of my train to the other. I think that was that was the most interesting part of the game to me. And that made me go like, oh, that's going to be yeah. interesting. Yeah, I think so as well, particularly, you know, when you are thinking about the fact that each of these different characters that you play as um, have special abilities and to an extent, like maybe a weakness or a strength. Um, and the differences between different types of the different characters you can play as at the start of the game are not huge, but they all have like special power. And I haven't even got to the fact that you can you can basically then get special staff that give you <laughs> buffs, one-off powers, r repeatable powers that you can you can flip over and regenerate and reuse. There's lots and lots of little interconnecting systems, all of which are quite fun on their own. But altogether, um, the issue I kind of had with it was twofold, and the fact that I felt like in a way this system of having these these mana crystals that you could spend this resource that you'd have to spend carefully because you could only regenerate it at certain times and in certain ways unless again you upgraded your train carts to make it easier. Um, but I felt like that the fact that you could always be spending that mana to just make things a bit easier in any regard that that led to a lack of crunch for me. There was always in a way there were always too many options, you know, <laughs> and. I feel like the mechanic of going down this track and having like, right, well, next you're going to have to do this. If that was more fixed, like you, you were always next turn going to be going to the next space along and having mm. to deal with that. That would have been rougher and it would have led to more mistakes, but it also would have led to more satisfaction in terms of having built a clever system. Yeah. Um, and also the fact that when you are in each of these slots that the... the that you move along in the track and you can move to you can have up to three different actions that you can take and taking all three of them costs you a lot more mana than just taking one which is free but the fact you're not allowed to actually start filling up the third line of that until you've finished the second column so you have to put a second one in everything before you can put a third one in one just little things like that i understand why that those systems are in place but I felt like there wasn't quite enough room to get really stretchy and dangerous and take mm. risks with what you were doing um, and to do things that were maybe a little reckless to see if it would pan out. And I feel like in an economic euro, which basically this is what it was, you've got to have that room to to push the engine to the limits, I think, to take that kind of like to do something that feels risky that might pay off really big or not if it were like a programming game where you know like you say where your conductor is going to go to the next stop regardless that would be really interesting because that's that part of the game that i enjoy the most that looking at the, the board in front of you and then looking at the main board and working out your route through it but like ultimately when i was playing the game you're right there's so much flexibility and there are so many options but the one that i felt was easiest to take 
was the one where I just went for a fast win and I didn't really engage with those systems of upgrading your rail and doing sort of fancy things. I just took a critical path to get to that end of turn delivery every single round, upgraded and refreshed my mana, and then just did it again, over and over again. And maybe this is a, a function of like playing it at two player, but then I also found that like the board is kind of sparse in its interaction like we sort of effectively split the game like directly down the middle um and it was whoever could just fulfill their orders quicker <laughs> um like you went quite into the upgrading stuff and i went worried so i pushed on towards the ending and i just sort of spent the whole game doing something that wasn't that engaging because it felt like there wasn't a huge amount of risk involved in anything i was doing there wasn't even the fact that all the resources can be you can lay track anywhere you know pretty much mm -hmm. anywhere you fancy it's not they're not exclusive spaces means that even maybe the most interesting part of the game which is snuffling resources out from under someone else lacks a sort of bite that i'm looking for in these kinds of games um and maybe we should talk about the fact that this was fine like i enjoyed it i thought it was it was fun enough but the thing that does set it apart is its size and its production which yeah. is upholding a game that we don't think is fantastic well it's yeah i, I guess it's it, the box itself is probably like a foot by a, a foot cubed it's a cube it's, well it was it isn't anymore. oh yes we should talk uh... about <laughs> <laughs> matt decided the box was too big and you just you just went to town on it <laughs> to be fair i was very tired um <laughs> as, as you can attend to and i was possibly entering what might be referred to as a fugue state <laughs> and we finished playing the game and i whilst talking to tom i just sort of absent-mindedly started basically tearing the box apart um, i wouldn't say absent-mindedly there was a lot of intent behind the, the selection of knives <laughs> that you pulled out <laughs> to hack that bad boy to but pieces i just happened to have a, a friend in the next room <laughs> thanks drew uh, who i just said have you got any knives or scissors knowing that he would and he came back and gave me a scissors and a selection of knives selection of knives like, great and I just cut the box apart and made it smaller. And Tom thought I was ruining it. But to be fair, actually, I did a pretty functional job of making it <laughs> smaller whilst not making it really horribly ugly. It looks yeah, fine. It's, it's the right size now. It's, it's yeah. everything fits. Whereas previously, it was all being thrown around in that big empty cavern. I think I took a couple of inches off the top of the box, which is still a large box, right? But this is because uh, when we got sent the copy of it, we got sent the kickstarter bonus with all of the special bits and bigger like thicker chunker board so actually i probably in the base game could have taken a good three or four inches off and it would have still <laughs> fit um which is pretty huge but again you know the thing i need to convey about this game is we talk about these little player boards in front of you where you are moving down the track and activating these actions and you have your things all of these things are not cards that get put on them they are like thick slabs of card um, these these bits you're putting on are massive. These um, upgrades you're putting on are massive bits of cardboard. And the the player board in front of you, no word of a lie, is about a foot and a half long. Uh, <laughs> maybe, it, and then like half a foot high. And it's those big. Are, it's massive. The, the, honestly, the player board is is like considerably bigger than like it's like half the size of an actual board game board <laughs> it's like three times bigger than the condottiere board yeah um and the, the thing about this game is interesting is i think that 
there's some smart design in terms of the fact that often when you have to make a difficult decision because it is quite breezy a lot of the time and you can you can mix a match and fudge and be like oh, i'll just do this i'll do this it doesn't get you stuck into a corner but when you have to make a difficult decision it does it at the end of your turn with the idea that like other players can then do their stuff while you make that choice that's fine but because it's so breezy and quick and flexible the rest of the time, it still means that when I play it with three, you'd be making a decision and then it's your go again immediately because goes are so fast yep. uh, most of the time. So I feel like maybe this would actually play well with four or five because of that. Mm. However, I couldn't fit more than three people on a table. Like it's, <laughs> it's so massive in terms of how much space it takes up that on a standard IKEA-sized table that's meant you know that you could happily feed six people around for dinner you could only fit three players on and yeah. that was still a push um yep. so it's just way bigger than it needs to be and <laughs> i think actually the biggest disappointment for me is the fact that you've got all of these over-the-top anime characters popping up you've got all of this color i wouldn't say it's a gorgeous game but it's definitely a very colorful and fun thing mm-hmm. but in a similar vein to cryo actually Although more so, I think Cryo actually managed to invoke some of the theme. There's just no life to it. It's actually an incredibly dry game. Yeah. Um, you don't feel like you're doing anything magical. You don't even really feel like you're running a train network. You just, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, a, it's a, a nice putting things down and picking things up game. But it, it could have been cubes and it would have been yeah, yeah. no less or more enjoyable, I don't think. But then I, I did have me wondering, because we had the same thing when we played uh, Athenium, the library mm-hmm. game, which is like your magic, magically sorting out a library. And it's like, are these magic books? No, they're just books. They stack like normal <laughs> books. It's, <laughs> it does make me wonder. It's like, what do I want from magic? Like, mm. you know, if is it like fireballs and wizards? Or is it like... Necromancy. Yeah, necromancy. Is it... I, I kind of feel like if you're going to have something that's magical, then it's a dangerous topic to add to be like it's this but magical because it's like what is the magic how are you implementing this sense of magic is it chaos is it breaking the rules or you know in this instance is it just like they're magical trains don't ask questions i think it's got to be like a bit of because the most magical game i can think of straight off the top of my head is weirdly the quacks of quedlinburg which isn't really magic you're sort of just like a guy who's selling like knockoff juice that you've cooked up in the back of your <laughs> yeah that's van. definitely not magic it's but like yeah. it feels pretty magic like <laughs> that bubbling cauldron and like slightly chaotic like that's what like you know when you when you put magic into a game you have like the whole spectrum of like weird and wonderful to play with so a game that embraces that is gonna grab my interest more than like their magical trains how they magic you can put them one space further than you would normally <laughs> i think you're right and I, th- I think that there's some there's some elements in terms of the the powers that the um the different characters have like you know you play this character it could turn tiles into pollution tiles I could dump sludge um you could dump sludge and then there's yeah. a, the caterpillar trains are quite fun in the fact that they can just eat a resource to then jump their network further around so they just go around the board eating up resources it's fun a fun idea hmm. but i i kind of feel like yeah like i in a way i think the most magical game i can think of is probably cosmic encounter just because it's like <laughs> it just it's just wild and breaks things in ways that you you can't foresee and often won't understand um and i feel like in this you can actually do that and there are there are powers and upgrades and special things that let you break the game in weird and wonderful ways but i kind of would have wanted that more of that as a baseline make something that's unforgiving yeah. and sharp but also allows you to do wild things as it is i feel like it's just if it had just been like hey it's trains but 
with anime characters, then there's, there's a couple of things that just wouldn't have made sense thematically, mm. and the magic feels like a bit of a get-out rather than a, a boon. But as I say, it's fine. It's just the fact that it's a massive box, and it's like, if it was in a smaller box, something like Brass Birmingham-sized, rather than this gigantic thing, then maybe it would be this thing of being like, eh, this is fun, I like this, fine. But as it is, it's just absolutely gigantic. It's fine, and it's massive, like jls in 2009 so next up on this podcast we're going to talk a little bit about spirit island and we're coming incredibly late to the party um, on this one this is a 2017 game that garnered a huge amount of acclaim when it released and it currently sits as matt the 11th best game of all time uh, yeah. the site published a written review back when the game first released but i think it's a game that me and you matt are keen to revisit a little bit because we played it yesterday and turns out it's proper good <laughs> yeah it's it's very good and immediately enticing and spicy as soon as we finished our first game it was like yeah i want to have another go i want to play it differently i want to i want to try a different slightly different type of puzzle so before we get into talking about those wild puzzles because there's a lot of different puzzles in that box a lot of iterative weird puzzles i should tell the people at home who don't know what spirit island is what spirit island is because spirit island puts the players as spirits guarding a you guessed it island there's a colonizing force that's invading your lovely island and you and your friends who are also spirits are going to push back against this oncoming tide of colonizers and the game does a really good job of making these people seem like invasive and persistent like towards the end of our second game the board was swamped in white plastic pieces these tiny explorers and their towns and their cities and these colonists are just trying to do the same thing each round they're going to explore a bit of island they're going to build a bit on the island and then they're going to ravage parts of the island that they just built on and if they ravage too much then they make blight and if they make too much blight you lose and blight spreads in kind of a similar way to a game like pandemic where you'll dump it onto the board and if there's already blight there it spreads and then that might cause a big chain reaction that makes your lovely island just sink into the sea um so how do you win uh well at the start of the game the victory condition is just to remove all the colonists from the island all the explorers all the towns all their cities and because each of you is playing this powerful force of nature you're going to be playing cards from a small hand to manipulate the island so each of the spirits has like a specialty in our first game i played a spirit called lightning swift strike they've all got fantastic evocative folkloric names um he was great at trashing buildings but terrible at protecting land Whereas, Matt, you played Shadows Flicker Like Flame, right? Yeah, Shadows. Watch out for those shadows. They're going <laughs> to make you scared. Yeah, and you were great at causing fear. And we should talk about fear, because as you mess up the colonists, you create fear that will trigger cards that will make the colonists panic. And the more fear you create, the easier the victory conditions become. So it goes from uh, all units uh, in total just to all towns and cities, and then just to all cities if you create enough fear. And then eventually you can just win just by making them real scared of how scary your island is. Which makes which does make sense, because they, they keep turning up. You know, they get lost, their buildings collapse, and generally building up this, this means of... I like the fear mechanic as being like, you know, getting to a point where people are like, actually, this place is cursed. This place is pretty horrible, let's just yeah. leave. Like, of, of being like... That you're breaking their, their you're breaking their spirit right of, of they, they're like they keep turning up being like yeah we're gonna explore this fun land we're gonna get this fun resources until eventually they're like i don't like it here <laughs> all of our big towns have collapsed let's go 
there's something um so like in the physical version uh we i was just going like man they're building stuff so quickly they're exploring so quickly i played the app version for a tiny bit and in between each round it says years and months pass and i love the idea that actually this game is like what you're doing to like these people are actually expanding relatively slowly like they're still expanding into your land but they're doing it over like generations and the things that you're doing are like these just they build up this tapestry of like the land being dangerous that these people can't abide by like you're sort of imparting onto them this idea of it being like possessed by spirits which i think is is really cool um, when you think about the fact that, like, some of the... And then all the cards are so evocative. Like, I know some of yours were, like, someone wandering off and then just never appearing again. And that's, like, the small-scale cards. But then the larger ones are, like, causing, like, huge floods or, like, massive droughts to appear. And I just think that's, like, the ramp of the cards starting off and the spirits starting off really weak and then getting more and more powerful as years and years pass and these colonists become more and more aggressive and invasive. It's just, like chef's kiss it's it's so so good it's lovely in the fact that you know um the earlier softer stuff more gentle but then when you are using the more powerful powers um as with nature like you know you can do things that are incredibly destructive but also like not without cost you know it's like mm. you know you are you are messing up things by doing this it's like yeah this will wipe out everything in this space but also it will make the landscape worse yeah. it will you know you there's damage here which yeah. is, you know, again, it's like this idea of the ferocity of nature of, of you know, yeah, sea will do this, but also the sea is terrifying and destructive <laughs> uh, and you can't really control it. But there's a lovely relationship in the fact that, you know, you are, I kept calling them the mushrooms because they look like little wooden mushrooms. But I had to keep <laughs> reminding myself that, in fact, they were tribes people who are native to the island. And it's your role to try and basically protect them and uh, look after... Well, actually, primarily it's your role to look after the land, is mm. to, to avoid the, the land being blighted. But these these people are going to get messed up by the settlers in the process. And actually, your relationship with these indigenous people is more settled, I guess. Yeah. The thing is, it's. I think I expected this game to be a bit more like because when it came out everyone was saying you know it's like it's really interesting the fact that it is taking that different approach of having the colonizers being the baddies sort of thing i think i assumed it to be more of a having more of a kind of maybe environmental or realistic approach which i don't know why i expected that from a game <laughs> that has lots of magical spirits on the front of the box uh, and i'm not saying that expectation came from anywhere but inside my brain in a silly way but it's it is a lot more magical and silly and fun than I expected as well. It's a fantasy game in a in a fun way of like, you know, I, I felt like I was being a baddie in a nice way, you know, wiping out <laughs> all of these explorers. Like, <laughs> it was like... It is, it is a game that is deliberately very um, aggressively anti-colonialist in a way that you're, you know, if you are getting that sentiment that's like, man, we are like, you know, destroying like, people here you know because you are wiping out colonists it's it's asking you to not take sympathy for the colonists because it is displaying them as what they are which is an invasive destructive force on an otherwise peaceful land and it's also quite interesting in the fact that like you know you have all of these ostensibly made up spirits that can have magical powers but then actually in the box you do have um a bunch of invader cards that basically spice up the game and do different things that are literally just like 
the British Empire. <laughs> yes. Well, they are all literally real colonizing forces, yeah, which is exactly. a, a neat touch. But it is that it's this kind of weird. I like it. It's it's just kind of a sci-fi setting in a way of being like, what if, right? Actual mm. colonizers, but also what if actual spirits on islands that could <laughs> fight back against these forces? What if what if the Earth could actually defend itself against like ravages and. Uh, <laughs> And that's, I think, a really fun setting, actually. Um, but for me, it's just the the, the excitement of, of playing around with these mechanics. And the fact that when we played the first game of it, it guided us in with having, like, this is going to be your spirit. And as you upgrade your powers, go through them in this order and grab mm-hmm. these cards from a deck. But actually, in the game, you're drafting these and you're choosing whether you want to draft, like, this type of card or this type of card and add them to your hand and the fact that then there was that synergy in terms of having these different elements that got powered up that you could spend on using your special abilities on your board created a really interesting deck building choice of do i want to take this card that i know is going to synergize with my long-term ability to be doing my special powers from my spirit or do i just want to take this card that's really good at defending stuff knowing that gosh we could really do with that right now and even actually reminded me of um oceans and the fact that you've got this choice (laughs) of like do you want when you get a new card do you want to have a basic card or do you want to have a powerful card sort Mm. of thing do you want to do you want to have something that's a bit spicy but also comes at more of a cost um or go for something a little bit more vanilla and safe there's there's this system of minor and major powers where the minor powers are you're almost always going to be playing them i should explain the way that the actual card play works is each round you're going to choose a number of cards from your hand to play and this costs energy which is a resource you get a little dribble of every single round you choose all the cards to play and some of them will be fast they'll activate before the invaders and some of them are slow they'll happen after the invaders uh, take their actions and these the powers that you have, these minor and major powers, the minor ones you're almost always going to be able to play. They're often very cheap and they will probably be fast or I don't know. But you'll, you'll, always, you'll often have those and able to play them in your hand. The major powers are cost a lot of energy. They're more explosive and they're more damaging. So they need to be precision engineered to hit at exactly the right place. But they also cost you another card from your hand. So taking on a major power is, a t- is like a timing or a tempo consideration. Um, at all times i think that's super interesting like playing that game and and the first time we played it when we had the procession of powers we were like this game is real easy and then the next time we played it when we picked two spirits that maybe didn't synergize as well together who Mm -hmm. by the way i'm amazed at how asymmetric they felt the complete difference between my first and my second game it was like night and day um and then having the whole rule of the roost of any number of power cards that were all gonna interact with each other in various ways like the possibility space is just huge uh yeah i just thought it was fascinating absolutely fascinating it was interesting enough that it wasn't just like now play it again but slightly different you know it was mm. like i was excited to toy around with trying the different spirits and seeing how it went and seeing how we could adapt to these different puzzles um and yeah i think also managed to really achieve that that pandemic thing of having a situation whereby you know you just start your turn things look incredibly bad and then by the end of the turn you're like yeah we fixed all of the problems high five you know like how did we do that which was really great i I could basically the the broadest thing i could say about it is lots of people say yeah you know 
there's lots of different co-op games that are fun but after i play spirit island it's my favorite and it's the one i go to and it's like it's and i can see that i'm like yeah this is this is really solid like it's it's not something i think you could lead into it's it's more complicated than other things you have to have a basic kind of understanding of board games because it does drop you into some spicy mechanics quite rapidly i i think the the intro game of having a kind of set up in a specific order and the flow in a specific order is a really nice mechanic and it does Mm -hmm. really work really well um but as soon as we started moving on to the intermediate um spirits yeah things immediately got more board gaming and that that idea of tempo as well was definitely a thing of like there was the, the character i played had one of the upgrades on the board was simply like get back one card from your like from your discard uh because that's obviously a thing you can do is like to get all your cards back from your discard as you cycle through your deck but that really to me screamed like efficiency of timing and flow like this idea of like you and then i get that upgrade which allows me to take back this one card and do something again like having that sort of um i think the exciting potential there for synergy and for yeah knocking stuff out the park was really cool I think there's a really like salient comparison to like a game like Gloomhaven where it's an incredibly thematic upper upper layer and it screams this is a very Ameritrashy game of like rolling dice fighting monsters or whatever or fighting colonists in Spirit Island but under the core it's like it's Euro all the way through it's action efficiency and squeezing like exactly the right thing at the right time and making sure there's no margin for error um but the card play was very you said at the time that the the card play was very gloomhaven yeah Yeah, like comboing um comboing those elements together is super evocative of someone throwing you the element you exactly need in gloomhaven at the right time but then i think the thing that makes it so um easy to 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 get into the world of and prevents it from being too dry is just that it's just it oozes theme every single piece of art and name of thing is just like so thematic and you have this contrast between the sort of fluidity of the spirits and their abilities to like manipulate the island to their will if you've got those cards in the right place versus this mechanistic predictability of the colonists and the cards having their unique art and their unique names and effects and the game can Ava used this term recently where she was talking about um sleeping gods where sleeping gods is a game that is packed with systems that the game can pull on in like lots of different ways to like create theme and create narrative and spirit island every mechanic which we haven't got into all of there's tons of different little mechanics each one is a little limb that the game can pull on and tweak in a weird way to make you feel something um and it just it doesn't stop doing that the whole time was playing it the way that we had a sort of synergistic way where you scared off some people from one territory to another which i then proceeded to, to flood is like a little a little tiny vignetted story and you have those happening every single round but when you're not reading those stories your brain is working at 110% as you crunch through how the hell you're going to play exactly the cards you need in any given round and what you're going to play next turn it's great it's great yeah. no it's it's very <laughs> solid and i think as well like the other thing that surprised us is very fast playing with mm. two very back and forth i was worried there'd be a lot more like analysis paralysis or like having that thing of leaning over the table and trying to like game it by working out exactly what everyone could do and everyone I think it was just complicated enough that we weren't trying to do that. We were just sort of trusting of being like very vaguely saying, well, listen, I can do something like this. I can sort out these. And I like the fact that tokens, I realized when I was packing it away, it's like, oh, these tokens literally just exist. So you can put your color token on that zone to say, I'll deal with this. Basically, Mm, it's like, like, don't worry about this pace. I'm going to do that, Uh, which I think would be invaluable for more players. 
I think from what I've heard as well, um, is that we played it on on the difficulty that allows that, right? We played it yes. at a level where that sort of like loose co-op where we're not completely fixated on what the other person has in their hand at any given time. But if there's a synergy, we'll be like, oh yeah, sure, let's do that. And there'll be some fun little moments. But you can crank it up to a difficulty where oh, you have to have open hands and everyone is directly being like, right, let's let's solve this puzzle. Um, yeah. No, which I'm excited, I'm excited to get to. Of- there's a lot of like really big holes you can dig yourself into. Even playing <laughs> as the character I had where um, I had the capacity to basically move as a spirit around with the the natives the Dahan, yeah. and to move them around quite effectively, but then to shift around with them and then use the Dahan to like attack and destroy the settlers was fascinating, but it meant that I was able to kind of bundle together this this roaming band of huts that could just wipe out the settlers but then having this realization of going oh but it's gonna take me so long to move them down there where they need to go or whatever yeah, next yeah. and realizing actually it's like creating one roaming uh city is is not ideal i've become like the co- like the colonizers yeah, now yeah <laughs> in in that same game the spirit that i picked i unwittingly realized the spirit i picked was like pretty terrible at doing any damage at all but was amazing at just protecting territories in a way that Mm -hmm. i hadn't seen in a previous game like i could flat out just prevent damage to places if i wanted to and the fact that like that wasn't a possibility at all with one character and then the game is like hey there's another way of playing this your whole thing is putting big shields down effectively and then trying to somehow reconcile the two powers that we had that game to, to produce results was just like a unique puzzle and i think any combination would deliver a unique puzzle each time like what if both of you are super defensive how do you get to the end of the game that way what if both of you are super you know high on attack but you can't generate any fear like how do you play the game then Mm -hmm. um and those are the sort of the questions that i'm like yeah excited fascinating like very cool i mean especially you know you uh, got the the base box and then uh expansion that's underneath too many boxes for me to recall the name of it or see the name <laughs> of it at this point but uh yeah very excited to to, to dig into that more and uh, and and play around with that box of puzzles because it's it's real strong it turns real out strong. real strong yeah turns out i mean the it, game it, that people say is the 11th <laughs> best game is is good might just be i think it's a bit of a sleeper hit this one i think it's gonna i think people are gonna be going wild for this in a couple hey, of years watch out sound of the summer you, you, right? you, you just... watch this space heard it here Last, folks. <laughs> and that's about all we have time for today on the Shut Up and Sit Down board game podcast, the podcast all about board games, board games, and the people who love board games. Uh, I've been Matt Lees. Tom has been Tom Brewster. I have and, been Tom Brewster. And hey, uh, that's that's all of the podcast for today. We'll see you next week for another episode of the podcast. And uh, yeah, I because we haven't mentioned it earlier, we forgot to. Don't forget that like basically around now, next month, it's going to be another Oh Shucks. We're going to have a weekend of live shows, uh, <gasps> demos of stuff, yeah. lots of board games, lots of fun stuff. It's going to be basically a month, a month from today-ish. Uh, it's going to be all kicking off. Woo! I've got lots of preparation I need to do for it. Woo! Whoa. Uh, it's, uh, time does fly when you're having fun. Do you got anything you want to say, Tom? I got nothing I want to say. Uh, there's been no video review on the site this week, but next week, Quinn's got a huge review. And the week after that, I think I've got a small review 
that should be pretty, pretty peppy and pretty spicy. So look out for those on the YouTube channel. And that's it. That's all of that's Shut Up it. and Sit Down. That's everything that we've, we've done and we're doing. That's all we got. That's all we got. That's, that's all we got you, time then. for. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Bye.